talking about families the last couple of weeks. We're going to do that again for the next couple of weeks. We have all different families. We come from different backgrounds. We have different roles, and yet it's probably something that is something all of us do, and that is as families, we fuss and we fight. How many of you have arguments in your family? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you, you're all liars, so you can go home now. You know, we fight, we, we have disagreements, we have arguments, we have quarrels, and, and it continues on and on and on. Sometimes, and, and even in Christian families and godly families, we, we can't get over the argument. So we're going to continue to talk today, uh, building on the question that I asked last week, and I'm going to pick on some of the, the high school kids again. There was one question, one question you need to ask every day. Just once a week, what's the question? What can I do to help? Hopefully you asked that this week. If you did, your family dynamics are beginning to change. If you didn't, that's okay. You've got next week. It's something you can do for the rest of your life. Just ask, what can I do to help? Now, there's all kinds of solutions for conflicts, and there's all kinds of causes of conflict, all kinds of reasons that we fight. But one of them is because we are different as individuals. We come from different backgrounds, and then we get together, we get married, we have kids, and we're still all different. And a lot of it depends on your placement in the family. How many of you are middle children? Any middle children out there? Okay. I am a middle child, and so we as middle children, we are peacemakers. We are mediators. We're the ones who try to make everybody happy, and as long as everybody's happy, then we're happy, even when we're not. We lie a lot, too, but we we want everybody to be happy, so peacemakers. But then you've also got the sulkers. You know the sulkers? They're the ones who are always down. They're the Eeyores, right? Even when you win, how you doing? I'm fine, right? That's Eeyore. You're sulking all the time. Then you've got the stuffers, kind of like that. They don't show a lot of emotion. They just kind of stuff it to the side. Then you've got the litigators, often are the firstborn. Yes, this is you. I'm talking about you. You love to argue. We've got peacemakers like me who don't want to argue. Then you've got firstborn. They love to argue, even when... They think you're right. They still argue just so they can win. And they're great at it. You don't want to argue with them because they're always winning. And if you ask them uh, if they're ever wrong, they'll say, no, I'm never wrong. And it's not just that they can't admit it. They are literally never wrong. So you've got those. Then you've got the screamers. Now, I came from a very stoic German family. My father would yell occasionally, but other than that, we didn't yell much. So if you come from, like me, a stoic German family, and then you, you, you marry someone, and I'm not saying this is my wife at all, don't go there, this is not true, but if you married someone who was a screamer, you know how it, that first argument that you have, you're, you're arguing, and you're, you're the stoic, and then you have the screamer, and, and all of a sudden the screamer just loses it and starts yelling at everything, and you're like... Oh my God, demon come out. You know, what was that? You have no idea and it just just kind of blows your mind. So we're all different 
And yet, we have this commonality that there is conflict. And even though there might be all kinds of reasons for conflict, there's truly only one cause. And we're going to get to the heart of that today. If you take there your notes and you can take a look, and I hope that you'll answer these questions with your family the red column there on the side sometime this week. James asked this question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? So turn to the person next to you and ask them, what causes quarrels and fights among us? Can you do that? Just ask them right now. What causes quarrels and fights among us? Now, if we were to have a five-minute discussion, we're not going to do this, but if we were, who would you say is the answer? If I asked who causes quarrels and fights among you, and you were to answer, this is what you would do, you would say, you do. Right? You would say, you do. You would point to the person next to you or someone else in your family. Who causes quarrels and fights among us? It's you. It's your fault. You're the one. So we're just going to get it out of our system right now. Point to the person next to you and just say this, it's your fault fault. Can you do that? It's your fault. Doesn't that feel good? Wow, I like that. It's your fault. And that's what we do, isn't it? Immediately, we begin to blame. If only, and you can fill in the blanks in your situation, if only my husband or my wife or my children or my parents would do this or that, then everything would be great. In fact, if only the whole world would do what I tell them to do, then there would be peace, right? That's how we feel. We have the right answer. So, if only my husband wouldn't boss me around so much, if only my wife wouldn't spend so much money, if only my children would make their bed in the morning, if only my kids would pick up after themselves, and on and on and on it goes. We're always pointing the finger to blame someone else. And yet, when we do that, we give up control of our happiness. Something we would never do consciously. So I need a, I need a volunteer here. It can be anyone. I promise I will not embarrass you. I need you to come, up, come on up here. Clark's going to help me out. All right, what's this letter? This is an H. This is a big H. Come, come over here. The camera needs to see you, okay? So, let's say, you know, we're brothers. We could be brothers, or maybe I'm mom or dad, right? Okay, I could be a, I could be a friend. And we're arguing. And you believe with all your heart that you are right. And you probably are, but, right? So, we're arguing, and I have a different point of view. And I think it's your fault. You think it's my fault. And so you're going to hold on to your happiness. Got a big smiley face there. There you go. So, right now, Clark does not like me very much because I've disagreed with him. In fact, even though he is a fine Christian young man, he is on the verge of hatred of me. Because we get that way sometimes, don't we? We get so filled with emotion over an issue that the person, even though we may love them, If we're in conflict with them, if we're arguing with them, we no longer like them, we almost even hate them. And so in the middle of our argument, 
And you're just about to lose it, to lose your composure. You're holding on to your happiness. And you're saying, I don't like you very much. In fact, I even hate you right now. But here, hold on to my age. Can you do that? So here, hold on to my age. Okay. So now I've got your happiness. That's what we're doing, aren't we? We would never do that consciously, and yet we do it all the time. Go ahead and sit down and give Clark a round of applause here. James, the brother of Jesus, said 2,000 years ago, what causes quarrels and fights among you? We would all answer, you do. It's your fault. It's somebody else's problem. And yet James says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? When we begin to understand that our happiness is controlled by us, and that when we begin to blame others, we can never truly be happy. Things begin to change in the dynamics of our family. So let's just practice this. We practice the other part where we say it's your fault. Let's practice the other, other thing. And, and so now imagine yourselves in that argument. Think about the argument you just had last week or the most recent one that you had. Maybe some of you had it this morning, <laughs> getting the kids ready for church. That often leads to a good argument. Isn't that always a great way to start off church in the, on a Sunday morning? You know, you're just yelling at your kids. Now let's go and love Jesus. All right, yep. So whatever that argument was. And now, right in the middle, you're about to lose it. You're about to blow up. You're about to lose control. You're about to yell or scream, and if, even if you're not a yeller or a screamer. And you say, you know what part of the problem is here? Because that's the tone we usually use, right? You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. It usually goes the other way, doesn't it? You know what part of the problem is here? And then we point the finger and we begin to blame. But imagine, as a godly person, as a husband or wife or parent or child or brother or sister, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And so often we think the person with whom we are arguing, should just provide it. Remember, if they would just do what I want them to do, if they would just give me what I need, if the whole world would just do what I want them to do, everything would be hunky-dory and there would be peace. So I'm admitting that part of the problem is I am not getting what I want. Now, if you do this along with asking that question, what can I do to help? The dynamics of your family will change completely. Now, I'm going to tell you that most of you will not do this. Most of us won't, and I'll tell you why. Now, there may be room on your paper, I don't know. Uh, you can find a little blank spot. Draw a circle. Just draw a circle, a complete circle. You can color it in if you want to be creative. Just draw a circle. And then imagine that this is your amount of responsibility in the conflict, in the argument, okay? So give us a, a circle up there on the screen. 
Okay, so it's blue. All right, so you have a blue circle, green circle, red circle, whatever you want to do. Just a plain circle. Imagine in your mind, in the argument, in the conflict, how much of the responsibility belongs to you. And draw a little pie, little slice of pie. All right, give me an example up there. This is what it might look like. This is what most of us would do, right? Because it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe just a little bit, maybe a quarter. I don't always react the way that I should. But you always start it. We might draw a little pie like that. Or maybe, give me the next one, maybe we think, you know, really it's about 98% you. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe... Two percent, just a little eeny, weeny, ipsy bitsy part is mine, right? That's what most of us would do, all right? In reality, psychologists have done this in counseling. And you know what they find when they have a husband and a wife and they use this exercise and they say, draw your slice of the pie? What do you think most people do? It's not a slice like that. It's not a larger slice. It's none of it. It's none of it. And why is that? Because the whole point of an argument is to do what? It's to win. It's to win. And that works in the courtroom. You want to win. That works in the boardroom. You want to win. But it never works in the living room or the bedroom. Even if you win, you what? You lose every single time. And if you admit you're even a part of being the problem, you've given up your leverage, you've given up your power, and you can no longer win. There's a much better approach. And it goes something like this. If you can never win by winning an argument, then never go on the offensive. Because why do you go on the offensive? To win. And if you're never going to go on the offensive, then the other person never needs to go on the defensive. In fact, the best defense is no defense at all. And simply to go from, I'm part of the problem, to say... You know what? It's my fault. Now, I know there will be those who will say, no, that doesn't work at all. You know, such and such, my wife, my husband, my brother, my sister, my friend, they did, and fill in the blank, they did this, they did that. They promised this, they haven't delivered. They're always saying they're going to do this, and they never do it. It's, it's just not fair. So let's talk about fair for just a little bit. Talk about fair. So how many of you have ever been driving around in a parking lot looking for a parking space? You ever do that? You know, uh, the Black Friday is coming up here soon. We're going to go shopping. Maybe it's at Walmart. Maybe it's the mall. Maybe it's some other store. Maybe it's the grocery store. You've all experienced that. You drive around, you drive around, you drive around, and you're looking for a space. How many of you have ever, and I mean ever, have you ever done this where you turn off the highway or the street You drive directly into the parking lot. It's a huge parking lot. There are no spaces whatsoever. And you see all these people endlessly circling and circling and circling. But then lo and behold, right there in the very front, 
is a space and you drive directly to it and you park in there and now you pound on the steering wheel and you say, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. They were driving around for 10 minutes and I got the space. Anybody ever do that? No. Never. You say, thank you, Jesus, right? It's God's will that I got that parking space. Yes. It's not fair. As parents, we say that to our children all the time. When they complain about this or that or the other thing, it's not fair. And we say, but life's not fair. And it, it is the truth. Since the Garden of Eden, there is no fairness. In fact, as Christians, this morning when we made our confession, you remember that just a few minutes ago, I, a poor sinner, and we confessed. What do we deserve? We deserve full and complete condemnation. So thank God life is not fair. So instead of complaining about the fairness of your relationship, let's take a deep breath right when we're in the middle of all this argument and let's take a different position. Now, a lot of us will pray before an argument. <laughs> it's usually, pray, Lord, uh, let me win. <laughs> let her see that I'm right. God, please change my spouse. You know, it's all the things we wanted to do before we got married and didn't not going to happen. How about if we changed all of that with the words here of James? He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. So often, even as the people of God, we try to resolve our conflicts amongst ourselves. Just us. Oh, we'll pray that prayer to get God on our side, but we don't have because we don't Go to God. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Remember, our motive is generally to win the argument. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure, on yourself. Can you imagine how the dynamics of your family would change if you prayed instead, God, instead of changing them, change me. Because you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And that person may not be able to give it to me. And God may not give it to you either because it's not best for you. And so your prayer instead is, God, change what you need to change in me. So my focus is not so much on me, but on you and others. We used the letter H before. Let's use another letter. I won't ask anybody to hold it up. I'll do it myself this time. When our life is focused on the I, it can never be anything but negative. Because what is an I? It's simply a minus sign, isn't it? That's turned on its head. Instead, if we begin to look to the cross, which amazingly looks kind of like a plus sign, doesn't it? 
when we focus on the power of the cross, then our lives can be transformed away from selfishness, away from the eye, into a God-centered life that will glorify and honor our God and think of others first. So today is Reformation. We have the red. (laughs) Reminds us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It comes to us in our baptism. There the person, God himself, of the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. And each day then he gives us the power to transform who we are and what we do. Here in the Reformation, we have those solas. We are saved by faith alone, by grace, through what Jesus Christ has done, not by works. And yet all of that is centered in one place, and it is right there on the cross. Jesus sacrificed all of his desires, all of his wants, all of his needs, He put it all to death so that you and I could get not so much what we want, but what we need. And that is forgiveness. That is new life with God and new relationships with one another. And the salvation that only Christ could win. And so let me encourage you this week, ask the question, what can I do to help? And then in those moments when we all have them, when we have the conflicts and the arguments, when we disagree to focus no longer on the eye, but rather on the cross of Jesus Christ, and there indeed we will find that joy of serving Jesus first and then others. And you'll find that your needs and your wants will come true as well. May God grant it for Jesus' sake, for the health of your family. Amen. Amen. Let's all rise now and make profession of our faith. This morning through the word.